The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again, and we thank you so much for joining us here on Afternoons with Mike on the Shepherd Radio Network. With me today on the line, Kevin McGarry. Kevin, it's so great to have you back. Kevin leads a company, uh, an organization called Every Black Life Matters, and it is just always good to talk with you. And you're an author. I know that you keep yourself informed as to all things going on with the current events, all of which affect our daily walk with the Lord. And we're living in a day and age, are we not? I mean, even with the role of a calendar, a new year is here, but we're still facing a lot of challenges for 2023, aren't we? Absolutely. First, I want to say thank you, Mike, and happy 2023 to you. Uh, 2023 is the year that the Lord is going to continue to set us free. So I'm, I'm, I'm highly expectant uh, that we'll see some major, um, major things happen on our behalf here in this year. But yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, to your question, uh, we are still very much in, in perilous times, uh, especially within the body of Christ, because it's so divided right now. Uh, we have so many forces, demonic forces, I would say, that are uh, really pushing and pulling within the body of Christ to the extent that they have, we have uh, each other pointing at one another and calling each other white Christian nationalists and, and white supremacists within the body of Christ. You know, this is, uh, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is a really kind of crazy times. I mean, this, these, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, yet we're pointing at each other and condemning one another. It's just insane. And you think about what's gone on this past week with the debacle in D.C. over the vote, what, 15 votes to establish Kevin McCarthy as the leader of the Republican Party. All of that just goes to show there's not even unity in any one of these uh, uh, parties, although I think the Democrats would say, oh, no, no, we're very unified. And they may be right to the degree that they're all voting the same way. But there is not that commensurate unity going on in the Republican side. And even now, after that has been settled as to who the speaker is going to be, there doesn't seem to be a real clear picture that this group is going to be working hand in hand with each other to bring about the changes. I'm hoping that is uh, something that will reverse out. But is that what you see as well? Yeah. So uh, there's, you know, so leftist progressives always goose step. Uh, they goose step in one direction, and that direction is to undermine America. Now, I hope uh, our leftist progressive friends out there won't challenge me on that because there's so many different data points that you can point to where they're really obviously trying to destroy America now or and its foundations, okay? So um, having a, a little bit of disunity when we have, in some regards, a uniparty, because we have some people on the other side as well that's looking to uh, commensurate, if you will, with the uh, leftist progressive forces and participate in the undermining of America and its traditions. So uh, I'm okay with having a divided, uh, contentious, 
type of a you know thing that we saw last week. I think it was in in on balance, it was uh, actually useful. I mean, because now we've been able to to really bring some vital things that need to be changed to the forefront, and we forced uh, the speaker, the new speaker of the house, to uh, on paper uh, commit to getting those things done. And this is going to break, if you will the uh, progression towards leftist demonism, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I think this was this was all good. I mean, uh, it may have looked like, wow, disunity, disorder, divided, and et cetera, et cetera. But there is a time when we as people of faith must be divided from the world. So uh, if there's a time that we must separate ourselves from the world, which means we uh, divide our, you know, we, we, we have a certain amount of division that we go through personally, then why is it so obscure and, and uh, you know, so shocking to see uh, when we have people wanting to stand up to make sure that uh, various freedoms and liberties and various um, uh, directions for the country uh, don't continue to go down this, this sort of sordid, demonic path that it's been on over the past several years. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about 20 people stood up on that vote in the Republican side, as they're all casting these votes, he needed 218, which by the way, he didn't really ever ever get. Those numbers got changed a little bit because a great number, uh, six or so of the uh, Republican representatives voted present, and that changed the threshold as to what needed to be the winning number to get McCarthy elected. I guess my question would have to do with this. I'm hearing what you're saying, and it sounds like 20 people stood up and would not bend even after 14 unsuccessful votes in the House to elect a a new speaker. 20 people stood up, and, and those 20 need to be commended because what I'm hearing you say, good has come from that, and some compromises in the Republican Party have been won. I guess a more troubling thing, if only 20 of those 216 people that voted for McCarthy, only 20 were representing now uh, causes that were good. Isn't it troubling that so many people, uh, also Republicans, weren't uh, among those 20? That That is in itself concerning, isn't it? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. That is the troubling part of it. We had only 20 holdouts. Uh, and that number began to dwindle after, you know, subsequent uh, tries at getting the speaker nominated and, and fully elected. So, uh, but we had only 20 uh, in that whole, you know, during the whole, what, four, four day uh, right. process. And so uh, that's, that should be more concerning to us because if you look at McCarthy, uh, he started well, he, you know, some years ago, he did some things well. Over the past few years, he has been, you know, some of his things that he have done really were points of significant consternation, if you will, for sincere conservatives, principal conservatives. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, that's why we had the showdown. Um, if he had, you know, really been principally conservative all the way through with the things that he has said and done and participated in, we would have had a much easier process. If we had another 
uh, principled conservative, somebody like Byron Donald, a friend of mine. I know him well and and respect him, uh, but he has been thoroughly consistent. And that would have been something, wow, that would have been incredible. But but nevertheless, I mean, we're here where we are with McCarthy, and, and you know, that's okay. We, we could bury the axe and say, look, here are the marching orders. Here are the things the American people want, dare I say, need us to do. And so these are the things that we're going to focus on. And you, Kevin, are going to give us the important committee positions so we can start to unpack what has been done to America over the past several years. And there has been a lot. I mean, uh, man, I mean, the spending, the uh, the accusations of, of, you know, insurrection, all this, oh, just a myriad things that have mm-hmm. been done that had the, you know, the fingerprints of malfeasance really from the leftist progressive side as opposed to where they were projecting. Uh, those things need to be unpacked. We need to find out some truths. We need to really figure out who's who and what's what, we need to figure out to what degree the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, has uh, infiltrated our government apparatus and to what degree our government officials are uh, are bought and, you know, are owned, if you will, by the CCP. So mm-hmm. these are the things that that now we have the, the impetus, right? We have people that are motivated, uh, including Jim Jordan and, and some of the others, that will be able to take on those important positions and help us to unpack this stuff. I really hope they are successful in doing it. And, you know, if history is any guide, which we know at times it indeed is, um, it just it just doesn't guarantee that we're going to have the kind of of uh, working together over issues that are so strongly important for America. You think back to 2016, the Republicans had all three of the branches of the government uh as a majority and look what little was done from 16 to 18. And then in 18, of course, we, we lost the house again. Uh, I say, we, I mean, the, I'm speaking as a conservative. Now we, yeah. we lost the house uh, to this progressive left that has been moving us all over the place. So it is going to take uh, some new leadership. I believe it's going to take some courage on the part of, of Kevin McCarthy and all these others that are uh, trying to hold up the banner for conservative conservatives, but it is going to have to be against the flow of what has happened in the past. And I pray that uh, courage will win the day and that these people will stand up and do what is right. And, and I'm praying they will. Absolutely. Uh, we should all be praying for our speaker, we should continue to pray for all those in, that, in authority, even if they are, um, you know, somewhat deranged. Uh, that would be the, uh, the document of the White House and all those around him. Uh, we need to pray because uh, the Lord has a way of penetrating the, even the dark recesses of people's hearts, minds, and souls and changing their direction. So we need to continue to just pray and petition God's mercy upon our country mm-hmm. uh, so we could actually see some changes uh, that are necessary at this point in time in our history. And speaking of our history, we are two and a half years away from the anniversary of the terrible incident with George Floyd. And I know that that set off a just an amazing amount of uh, directives and directions in our country that that I believe further separated the citizens of this great nation. 
And I, I know that you are a speaker uh, that has a platform, sir, that I, I so appreciate. I know that in addition to being the co-founder of Every Black Lives Matters, and that's not to be confused with Black Lives Matter movement. That is uh, certainly not the BLM. Uh, your, right. But your engagement in the area of civics, you're a chairman of the Frederick Douglass Federation of California, and, and you're also, uh, a, like I said, a, a leader here in this, this whole movement against the wokeness that's going on in our country. As we approach uh, three years from that uh, event in 2020, what are your thoughts about the state of our country with regards to its division racially? Yeah, let's let's just revisit that for a minute. So we started Every Black Life Matters right after uh, BLM did what they were doing, uh, destroying uh, you know cities and and especially our urban centers, um, you know, burning black and brown businesses to the ground um, with their cohorts of Antifa, uh, the real white supremacists. You know, these are these are white folks, hundred uh, percent of Antifa, made up of whites who live in suburbia, and yet they were going to urban areas and burning down black and brown businesses. Now, if that's not a white supremacist, I don't know what is. Uh, unfortunately, I'm the only one uh, sort of calling them that, uh, crying out in the wilderness that people should just, you know, come on. What you, if they were sincere about wanting to burn down businesses, why don't they just stay in suburbia and burn down those businesses right right next to their homes? I mean, come on, guys. But anyway, um, so, so we started Every Black Life Matters as a righteous and faithful alternative to BLM. Uh, because we realized there were people of faith and there were pastors encouraging their parishioners to go out and, 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 and participate with BLM. We thought that was a bridge too far. BLM was uh, obviously Marxist, anti-family, anti-father, anti, really anti-child uh, because they were pro-abort. Um, and, and they were really anti-anything that would actually make the black community better or stronger or more successful. So, And I think just started, to add one more thing to that, I mean, would it be too strong to say in many ways they were anti-black uh, in many areas oh, because of the very oh, things that they've stood for? Absolutely. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Things that they stood for were really anti-black life. Right. Uh, so it's, 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 it's really a uh, misnomer completely for what they were. And so we wanted to start Every Black Life Matters because we wanted to illuminate the fact that uh, Blacks are literally still targeted in the womb. Comparatively, we are disproportionately targeted to the extent that we make up 40% of all abortions, uh, but we only make up 13% of the population. Now, if you actually did the numbers, you would see that this is obviously strategic. It doesn't it doesn't make you can't like say that this has just happened virally or normally or anything. It's strategic. When you look at the words of Margaret Sanger, the Planned Parenthood founder, who said, "Look, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to thoroughly exterminate the Negro population." So she wanted to thoroughly exterminate blacks, and unfortunately, Planned Parenthood has been very, very successful with that. So uh, we started every Black Life Matters because we believe that all lives matter. Every life matters. But because we believe that every life matters, because God deems that every life matters, then that means that uh, we must be sincere about exposing the disproportional target of Black life. And so that's why we put it in our, you know, we, we named ourselves Every Black Life Matters to illuminate the fact that Blacks are being targeted disproportionately compared to everything else. So um, 
and we wanted to really bring that forward because of course all lives matter and and it should be uh it should it should it should shock the conscience of any rational moral person and faith person especially that uh blacks are being specifically targeted for extermination in the womb mm -hmm. so um so so with that we started that now here's the here's what to, to get to your you know finally get to your, your i want to just get a little bit of background so people understand where we came from but to to, to get to your question uh we have been thoroughly divided uh via George, the George Floyd uh, murder, okay? Um, uh, you know, we saw the emergence of critical race theory, which has been, which had, which had been percolating for decades, but it gave then the opportunity for CRT to come out and be front and center. And since that time, because people are so guilt-ridden about what happened to George Floyd, and then therefore uh, guilt-ridden about what's been happening to Blacks, um, we have this whole guilt and shaming process as a result of uh, critical race theory. And then, of course, we're adding in wokeism as part of that. And wokeism gives then now these radical revolutionaries, Marxist revolutionaries, I will say, uh, the opportunity to then dox and, 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 and uh, cancel and, and uh, you know, do all of these, uh, you know, point to us conservatives with pejoratives and do all of these uh, horrible things out of uh, just malice, uh, just because we happen to have a dissenting point of view when mm -hmm. it comes to being woke. So those are the types of things that we're going to see more and more of, uh, although I think it's we, we, we finally plateaued, and I think the whole wokeism uh, thing is, is, is coming down a bit, and uh, we hope to accelerate that process by virtue of my new book, Woked Up, and uh, some of the other things that we're doing in these communities. I agree. And we need to see these things dialed down because it's just nuts, man. When you think about what our parents are going through, all of the things that have happened since that terrible day in 2020 with George Floyd. But since then, we've had the events in Virginia with the school boards. We've had time and time again, this disruption from Antifa and to see these two radical organizations on both sides, BLM on one side and Antifa on the other side, working really hand in hand, it's time that America wakes up and realize what really is important and the steps that we can take to bring an end to this crazy stuff that's going on. Kevin McGarry's here with me. We'll be back with another segment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, Call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. On the line with me is Kevin McGarry, co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. Also, he is uh, just one of these leaders in the black community who's really trying to make a, a clarion call, a, a call that is clear for not only the, the black population of America, but all of us. I, I've, I've talked to this man a number of times. And brother, I love your heart. I love your heart for God. And you have faith that God can use these things, even these circumstances that can be in and of themselves confusing, like last week, that God can use them for his purpose, for his good. At the end of the day, God is still God. 
and he is sovereign over all of these things. And that really is our hope, isn't it? Absolutely it is. And the the Lord is using uh, various things in this time to bring us back to recognize the things that are important. Things that are important as we go into 2023 is we must get back to the sufficiency of the word of God. Uh, so many of us have, uh, you know, we relied on, you know, our pastors or, you know, others to just tell us what the word says. But because of that, we were missing some of the vital elements of what the Bible confirms that are essential. And uh, these vital elements, actually, if we were um, really tuned in, uh, would have helped forestall some of the division that we have within the body of Christ at the moment. And one of the biggest things that I see in 2023 is God is calling us to uh, heart that forgives. Yes. Um, one of the things that, that, you know, early last year, 2022, really felt that the Spirit was inspiring me um, this way. I'll tell you kind of how I, how I felt it. Uh, I felt the Spirit was saying, look, son, here's the deal. Critical race theory social justice, black liberation theology and liberation theology generally are all um, have a common denominator. And the common denominator is unforgiveness. Mm. And I thought that is really it. I, I just, I knew this was spirit because I didn't, I've never thought of this. Right. And uh, so I, I, I did some study in looking at that. And when you think about it, critical race theory wouldn't even exist if we had a heart that forgives. I mean, because literally people can say what they want about the 1800s, but if we had a heart for, that forgives. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It's all, it's all you know, we're, we're moving on in the Lord. We're forgiving. We're forgiven. There is no guilt and no shame. All of that is forgiven. Uh, so what are you talking about with critical race? It makes, it makes no sense, right? Uh, liberation theology, James Cones' is, uh, you know, demonic theology, in my opinion, um, uh, really focuses in on black uh, social activism and, and, and that as being part of the gospel. And uh, that wouldn't exist, that a grievance, uh, that perpetual uh, bitterness about whites and about blacks and what, you know, uh, what happened, et cetera wouldn't even exist if we had a heart that forgives. Mm -hmm. So uh, social justice, right, which is all about just trying to level the playing field and this and that, and, and basically, uh, you know, brings up all of this uh, grievance about what others have compared to us, wouldn't exist if we had a heart that forgives. So here's the deal. Uh, the Lord is trying to get us to forgive, and here's why. Mark 11, 25, and 26 says, look, if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Now, this is Jesus's words, right? Uh, if you look at Matthew 6, uh, where Jesus has given his brothers, his disciples, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 15. And uh, you'll see the Lord's Prayer there. But on 14 and 15, after he finished the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, look, brothers, all right, so here's the deal. That was the Lord's Prayer. That's the, that's the basic format of how you should how you should pray, okay? But listen to this. If you do not forgive, brothers, your father in heaven will not forgive you. Now, mm. this is Jesus talking to his disciples. So yeah. we have a real, real problem in the body of Christ. The problem is, yes, we have some, we, we have all of these other things that are well known. We have divorce still, and we have a lot of 
perversions and, uh, you know, pornography still within the body of Christ. People suffer and struggle with these things. But that those are small compared to the forgiveness issue. We must forgive if we want the if we want God to forgive us. That means we must forgive for what happened in the 1800s. We yes. must forgive uh, our brothers and sisters. If they happen to have a little bit more than we have, we have to know that we're all sufficient in Christ. Our sufficiency is in him, and he'll give us whatever he wants to give us. There's nothing anybody can do about it. So the point is, is that we within the body of Christ have been living uh, as if we could, we, could, we could continue to have these grievances and bitterness and hatred towards other people as if it's our prerogative. Uh, yeah, you, you can choose to do that, but your, your literal eternal soul is at existential risk when you do that. Right. Uh, and a you lot know, of people don't realize that, and this is why this is important. Yeah, and you know, there's no real way w through reparations or through uh, any of the other type of ideas that are coming forth about uh, setting the record straight about what happened in the past in the 1800s. What you're talking about is so right on spot because of the fact that only God can bring healing. Only God can change a life. Uh, just because we have people who are giving out money reparations to people that is not going to change the human heart. And it certainly won't change anything that is racist or bigoted or anything at all like that. It's money's not going to fix that problem, right? Money, money will absolutely not fix that problem. You're spot on. God needs to change the hearts and the minds of men. He wants to change our heart. He wants us to look for him, look to him to be uh, the, the, the divine equalizer. He'll reconcile everything. He is not a respecter of, purge, uh, of persons. He is, he says, vengeance is mine. He says he will recompense who he will recompense. We must trust that God has our best interest. If we're, if we're people of faith and that's who we supposedly put our, we put our life in his hands, then shouldn't we be trusting him to be everything and all things? Uh, can we trust him that he gives us a heart that forgives so we can actually begin to love one another again and unify? Here's the problem with uh, forgiveness, and this is why God was so adamant about it. If you do not forgive, what happens is that means that you still have uh, not only unforgiveness, but you have, uh, you know, you, you have the, inc you, you are incapable of loving uh, another person as having that as a pervasive um, sort of way of being mm -hmm. and because you, you have, a, you have bitterness, you have unforgiveness, you have hatred, you have whatever it is, anger. Um, and, and love cannot exist when that's there. So that's why this is so vital and important folks. We have got to get this thing right. We are not going to see unity in the body of Christ until we commit that we will have a heart that forgives. Now, I, I recognize there's a lot of things that happen in our personal lives. There's some people that have been abused by parents, by drunk uncles, by, um, you know, fathers that have molested. We have all kinds of horrible, unfathomable things that happen to us in our personal lives and our histories, right? But here's the thing. Um, uh, if we believe that we cannot forgive for whatever reason, God just wants us to lay it at the altar, come to him and say, look, 
Father, you know, I, I've been through these things, and right now I do not have a heart that forgives, but I'm asking you to replace that heart right now and, and give me a heart that forgives. And God will begin to do the work as long as you give it to him. So I, I, you know, for some people, some of your listeners may say, look, I, I you know, I've been through a lot. My ex, my ex-employer, my this and that, I, I get it. We, we got a lot of stuff, but uh, God just says, okay, just bring that to me then. Just be honest with me and say, look, I can't forgive X, Y, Z or for whatever, whatever. Bring that to me and let me give you a heart that forgives. And he will do it. So that's the point. I love that. And, you know, this is on both sides of this discussion. Those that are black can ask God to help them forgive and to repent themselves of things that they've done wrong, because this is true on both sides. Those that Absolutely. are those that are, are white and those that uh, have really left our brothers and sisters. I've got so many dear, dear friends uh, that are black, Kevin, and they still to this day have to deal with stuff that I don't have to deal with. And that is wrong. And we need all of us. We need to ask forgiveness for putting on such life limits on people that is based purely on the color of their skin. That is just wrong. So there's enough wrong on both sides of this thing to throw our hands up and say, God, we are desperate for you to heal my heart. Let it begin in my own life. Forgive me for those things in my life that have put these kinds of sins out there. And there's enough sin to go around. Absolutely. And here's the thing. This all happened, uh, you know, our perceptions about race and all this stuff actually literally happened and I, this is this. I'm, I'm segueing to my recent book that the Lord had me write. Uh, it's called Woked Up. W-O-K-E-D Up. And um, this is my fifth book. I only write when I really feel Holy Spirit is, you know, sort of like demanding that I write because I'm not really a writer, but I can I can flow with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit just gives me. And it's just these books are, you know, just amazing. Not because they were not because I did them, but because they were done through me by virtue of the spirit. Now, here's the deal. Woke Up deals with where racism and white supremacy comes from. All right. So I thought that, you know, Holy Spirit is going to have me look at, you know, Karl Marx. Everybody knows that wokeism is rooted in Marxism. So I thought that's where I would start. And uh, he said, no, 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 no. Marx actually literally had a mentor, uh, somebody who gave him these sort of lofty ideas you need to start there. And so when I went and did the research, I realized that Marx and Engels, all of their early works were dedicated to Charles Darwin. Mm-hmm. When I looked at Darwin's work, uh, his first book was um, on natural selection. The subtitle was For the Preservation of Most Favored Races. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And, uh, and so when you read that and you read his second book, The Descent of Man, Marx literally comes out with, look, um, whites have fully evolved. And when I say whites, I mean, you know, European, Caucasian, Aryan, whatever you want to call it, um, have fully evolved. We, he basically says, look, we're at the top of the evolutionary chain. Uh, we're, we're fully evolved. We're, we're more intellectual, more resourceful than any other ethnicity. He says, on the other hand, you could take a look at blacks and you see my evolutionary theories and, and, and operation. Blacks are still subhuman. They're gorillas, apes, and savages. So um, this is white supremacy and racism unleashed by a renowned scientist, a leader, world-renowned, 
during that time. And uh, those words were literally taken to heart. And because of that, that's where we get this, this, these differences in ethnicities. Now, some of your listeners will say, look, uh, no, uh, Darwin didn't come until mid to late 1800s. We had slavery before then. Of course we did. But slavery was economic opportunism. Um, so we had a lot of plantation owners get some slaves because they said, look, I can get some free labor. This is what we're going to do. It, the idea that they can treat slaves any old kind of way and treat them as subhuman and actually preach on Sunday uh, fiery sermons with no, you know, no conscience whatsoever about what they're doing to their slaves is because Darwin put in their mind that, look, these people are subhuman. You, there's no, no, no consequence. You can treat these, these things however you want. Um, they're subhuman. You could, you know, rape them, pillage them, whatever you want to do. It's, it's perfectly fine. That was when things really took off and, and slaves were being horribly abused. Um, and, and so it was Darwin who literally unleashed this, this, this mindset. Hmm. And so this book really, you know, it's footnoted, all the private letters, everything, all the dots are connected, gives you everything you need to know in order to help you combat the woke uh, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, uh, community children, whatever, uh, gives you all the talking points you need so you can actually uh, get through this process with them. Because from from Darwin, then, of course, to connect the dots to to Marx, from Marx, of course, you connect the dots to, um, uh, well, with Darwin and his first cousin, Francis Galton, I'll say this real quick, and I know you probably probably have to wind up on time, but uh, one, one last thing uh, that Darwin did uh, was he actually unleashed um, uh, eugenics. He and his first cousin were so, so much white supremacists that they, his first cousin, Francis Galton, was a was really a pioneer of modern day uh, statistics, just an incredible mind. But he took a look at the statistics of uh, all these other ethnicities around the world and the population growth. And he says, look, we're going to have a real problem with, with maintaining our supremacy over time because these other ethnicities are populating a much faster rate than we are. He said this to his first cousin, Charles Darwin. And so they literally concocted out of whole cloth eugenics, which means well-born. If you're not well-born, then you could be exterminated. And this was the justification for Hitler, mm -hmm. for Stalin, for Lenin, for Mao. All of them pointed to Darwin and Darwin's work on eugenics, every last one of them. So folks, look, come on. If you really want to uh, figure out where white supremacy and racism comes from, uh, if you really want to figure out uh, how you should be feeling about abortion, uh, guess what? It is white supremacy and racism. You can't get around it. I mean, it, it was it was literally concocted by Darwin and his first cousin who were white supremacists. I mean, they really felt that whites were supreme and therefore they concocted this scheme to exterminate every other ethnicity. Mm. So there you go. Boy, I tell you what, it's uh, it's really ugly in whatever form you find it, but that history is so helpful. Kevin McGarry is my guest, and Kevin, give us your website for Finding Woked, as well as just general communication with you. Yeah, so our website is everyblm.com, everyblm.com. You can come to go there. You can help us, uh, help support our work, become a partner, do all kinds of things there uh, on our website. Now, the other thing is Woked Up, W-O-K-E-D Up, 
just type that into Amazon and my book will come up. Okay. And it's woke up Kevin McGarry and uh, you'll be able to order it. You get in about two days and it is absolutely essential if you want to combat the woke movement. So please get that book. All right, Kevin, thanks for spending this time with us today on Afternoons with Mike. Thank you so much, Mike. Always a pleasure, brother. All right. God bless. And we'll be back in a moment with John Crossman right here on The Shepherd. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back again here on Afternoons with Mike for segment three, and it was such a joy to have Kevin McGarry. He's from California. If you just tuned in, maybe caught the last little bit of that. He is a great spokesperson, wrote uh, a book called Woked, and he is the co-founder of an organization called Every Black Life Matters, not to be confused with BLM, although I would say that Kevin and what he stands for is in direct opposition to what BLM is trying to do. But the point of it is, Kevin is a is a black man who is has a heart for God. And now with me in the studio is my friend John Crossman, who has a heart for God and has a heart for uh, his fellow man, especially HBCUs. And John, I have to tell you, I'm always honored to be with you on your program. And the way that I get to see up close and personal the kind of relationship, the kind of influence that you're bringing to help this problem. I know your dad was a staunch defender uh, of uh, the black community and, and really worked tirelessly for civil rights matters. And you do the same. I know you're bringing honor to your dad, but I think you're bringing honor to God, my friend. Well, amen. Well, Mike, thanks for having me, buddy. It's so nice to see you and be with you and get to hang out with you. And I thank you for that introduction. You know, uh, at the end of it, uh, what's really about is about my faith. You know, that I really want to be the man God's called me to be. And I want to take the resources and opportunity given me to make the greatest impact. And race is one of them. Yeah, right? race it is, is one, one of them. It's one of them. You know, mental health is another one and suicide awareness and prevention, addiction issues, you know, I think that obviously certain people in life are are geared towards different things, but these are the areas that I feel comfortable talking about and gifted, and so I want to keep talking about them. Well, I appreciate the way you do continue to talk about them. And, and you know, when you think about uh, John Crossman, I mean, I, I when I was doing my research on you, you sent me a picture just over the weekend of our first ever interview together. Yep. And it was in the little the, the little office, basically, in the same building around the corner from where we are right now. But this studio was under construction back then. I had no way of knowing that the day that I interviewed you, three years to the day that uh, you sent me this Facebook memory, basically, yeah. that we would become friends, that you would become a, a, a show owner here. You actually have your own program here on The Shepherd. I just had no way of knowing that. And I think most people that would have heard about you or who knew who you were as a developer, as a CEO, uh, you've been you've been acclaimed 
as uh, one of the one of the most recognized CEOs in all of Central Florida by the Orlando Sentinel. And yet, I don't know that many people would realize that, first of all, you're a PK, a preacher's <laughs> kid. True. And secondly, that you carry on this this tradition that your dad championed of being a, a, a uniter in our community between uh, the, the black population and, and those that are not. And I just appreciate that about you. Mike, that's so kind of you. And you know, listen, I, I didn't have this vision of being a radio guy. You're a real radio guy. I'm a, I'm a fake radio no, guy. No, no, no. You're the real deal, But dude. You, you've been so, <laughs> so kind to me. I found a video interview of my dad uh, back in the early 80s. He was on a TV show, a local TV show. And he was doing a, it's kind of like a little debate with two atheists. And, you know, he's an ordained pastor on the panel and he's these two atheists. And the thing that struck me um, so quickly about the interview is how kind my dad was Mm -hmm. to the two atheists and he treated them with respect and dignity. And I could tell they were kind of put off by it. Like I think they were expecting this big, heavy debate. And yet he went in with a real kindness to them. And, and that is one of the things I really try to do in the work that I'm doing. You know, I, I myself am, you know, conservative guy and I have my own worldview and yet I want to find space to partner with people and have compassion with people and be kind to people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kindness is a biblical word, right? It's yes. not a bad word. God is kind to me. And because God's kind to me, I'm kind to others. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. doesn't mean that we let anything go. It means that, you know, we really try to have a heart towards people, right? So I always try to say to people, you know, thank you for sharing your opinion. And here's my opinion. And we, we may disagree. We can still wrap that in a, in a kind exchange. Now, I know you you do all of this wonderful work for HBCUs. You're a, a really a truly a champion in the area of, of trying to bring together our community. And yet I know that, that is, that's not always done uh, without any type of pushback. You get pushback <laughs> sure. from people all the time. Sure. And it, isn't it ironic that a lot of people that maybe don't appreciate what you do and what you're trying to do. They it's to me, it's just so strange that they would push back on, on such a good effort and done with the heart that you're doing. And I guess I just don't understand that. Well, you know, again, it gives people some compassion, you know, trust is an issue. Sometimes people don't, they don't know me or they don't know what an HBCU is. And so they make quick assumptions and then there's a lack of trust. And so it takes time to build that trust. And I've been working in this space a long time. It's one of the reasons why I stay in the space is because I think I can help build that bridge, yeah. right? So I can make that connection point. Now, why, when someone comes at you and they say, John, what's your motivation for this? <laughs> you know, you're a successful businessman. You, your company produced uh, much of what we today know as the, the kind of the retail space around public stores. You've done a lot of these. You're continuing sure. to do things yeah. now with your new company that you have. Uh, what do you answer to people when they say, John, why are you as concerned about helping HBCUs? That stands for, in case people are wondering, historically black colleges and universities, right? Correct. So that, what, what kind of answer do you give them? Well, it depends on the, the context, obviously. What I always try to get to the point is, is that I try to think about what are the problems our community is facing. Sometimes our community will get locked up on a topic like the Kardashians or something that I'm like, I don't know how this impacts like day to day, but like, what's the thing? I'm, I'm changing subject for, for a second here, but like think about when people start talking about gun violence, right? That's a big topic. It's an important topic. It's a real topic, right? Mm-hmm. 75% of gun violence is the deaths are suicides, right? 
So whenever hear somebody talking about gun violence and they're concerned about it, well, how do we reduce it? Well, you focus on suicides is how you focus on it, right? So that's a real topic. Well, is race a real topic in America? Well, it is. It absolutely is. I think most people would agree that at some level it is. And so the question becomes is, what's the solution? And so I always try to say, hey, if we agree there's a problem, okay, mm-hmm. here's something I'm doing that is working towards a solution. And then my all the other part is to say, like, that said, if you think there's a better solution, I, I want to listen to that. Or if I need to pivot on my solution, I want to listen to that. So I, I don't, I, listen, truly in my heart, I don't believe I got 100% right and no other ideas are welcome. It's the opposite of like, I'm trying and I want to get other feedback from people, right? But it comes back to, it's like, it's a real problem. Let's focus on real solutions. And you have a heart to do that. And you're patient and you're, you are loving and kind to people. I, I've seen it. I get to hang around with you a lot. And it's fun in all of these contexts. And whether you're talking to Tara Larson from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, or whether we're on the line as what we have been before with Senator uh, Scott, Rick Scott, uh, and everyone in between, right. I see the same John Crossman, and and that's what's exciting to me. And I think that's why you're so well welcomed in these circles that you are. I mean, you you've got you know people that are in the headlines, and I see I see you in those circles all the time, but I don't ever see a different John Crossman, and I love that. I hope that's I hope to be that guy consistently. You know, when I think about um, things that I believe in, right, and how do I, I don't know a better word, but sell those ideas? How do I influence those ideas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it's like I want people to feel treated with respect and dignity, dignity and then share those ideas. I'm, I'm always amazed with whether somebody's Republican or Democrat, how they can be just so demeaning to the other side. And I'm like, man, if, you, if you're a Democrat and you want to become a Republican and all you do is just dehumanize Republicans... What are you doing? Like, no one's ever going to say, well, you know what? I just realized I am an idiot. Let me agree with you now. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work that way, right? And so to me, it's yeah. like it's the humanity of finding what are some ways we can work together, right? We can find some ways to work together and make impact. And you've heard me say this before. It's like you can be about principles or you can be about power, but it's really hard to be both, right? And so if you're really focused on principles, you can let power go away, Right. And so I think one of the things else about me is, you know, I like taking risk. I like getting out there. Sometimes when I'm supporting historically black colleges, people will jump to the conclusion that I'm a very liberal guy. And I'm like, no, I'm actually a pretty conservative guy. But that's a false assumption, right? And so I always come back to like, no, this is the angle I'm focusing on. But I'm willing to take that risk. I don't have a problem with being mislabeled temporarily, Mm -hmm. obviously, if I'm trying to make sure they're making an impact. Yeah. The whole thing you're describing is profiling, which is something that we heard a lot about. Oh, a couple of years back. It's been a while now. Sure. That term is not as as openly used as it was back then, but there was a time that that was, and and we've seen that same thing happen in our culture with other terms. You think of uh, the whole gay language that was used in the now LGBTQ and, and, and it's morphing every day. It's changing every day. But, but the root is still the same, is that you have this ability and a desire to make a difference and to reach across the aisle, if you will. Right. And, and a lot of people in this day and age, John, they don't want to cross the aisle. They, yeah. they, they don't want to take a moment to listen to a dissenting point of view. Well, and you know what's funny about that is let's just talk about reading the Bible. I mean, you know, Mike, you 
You know more about the Bible than I do. You're you're better better guy than me. I'm no uh, way. You, you're smart. <laughs> you know, when you read the Bible, do you read it cover to cover and go, yes, 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 oh yes, or do you ever read and go, whoa, I don't know, I don't know if I can do that, Lord, or that is hard. I don't understand this. I mean, that's how I feel. You know, when somebody wants to debate some obscure Deuteronomy scripture. I'm like, dude, I'm still working on Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) I'm still working on some really basic stuff that I, it causes me to question me and my heart and my issues. And, you know, Mike, you know, you could look at my life and say, John, you're doing this impact and you're doing that because God's called you to do it. You also might say, John, man, that's your own ego and your own, you know, Uberus or whatever you kind of thing. And I might come back to you and say, Man, Mike, depending on the minute, buddy, like some of it's me, some of it's sin, some of it's, and I have got to continue to push myself in healthier, healthier places, continue to be transformed, right? I appreciate what you're doing, John. I appreciate how you do it. Uh, it's always fun to try to keep up with John, uh, and, and that's hard in itself, <laughs> but you're everywhere, my man. Speaking of that, we've got just a little bit of time left. I want to uh, invite everybody to listen to John's show. It's on every Saturday here on The Shepherd at 105. It's called The Crossman Conversation. And that's at 105 across all stations within the network. And then coming up uh, in not too many weeks from now, you're talking about a second program, right? I am. It's called The Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. And we're going to focus on really just having CEO business leaders Pure business show, right? We'll have some commentary in the back end, but really kind of jumping into it with timely business, senior executive with a focus on real estate and, you know, Central Florida kind of stuff. And that's going to be really exciting. I think I'm going to really, really be interested in the guest list we got coming up. And that's also going to be on in the slot where the Shepherd at Work is now on at 10.05. The Shepherd at Work is going to be moving to the afternoon uh, when that happens. So, Folks, stay tuned. You're going to get to hear even more of John Crossman. And it's such an honor to have him as a spokesperson here with me, a regular on my program. And you have been since now three years, my friend. Awesome. That's great. Well, friends, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining me for both John Crossman and also earlier Kevin McGarry. It's been a real delight for me to have both of these guys on the program. I'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd. 